reading is from Mark 10, verses 13 to 31. Hear the word of God. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come Follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus again said, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home, or brothers, or sisters, or mothers, or fathers, or children, or fields for me, and the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Thank you, Dav, and good morning to you all. Lovely to see you all here this morning. So the kingdom belongs to. Well, where do we start with this passage? Time and time again, as we look through the Gospel of Mark, we see why his Gospel account is so important. It's so concise, so compact and packed with spiritual truths. And there are so many key points in these 19 verses, so many, if you like, catchphrases that we could speak on. We could have a whole sermon, for example, on verse 14 alone. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. We could spend an hour diagnostically analysing the way Jesus lays out the commandments in verse 19 compared with the order of the commandments in Exodus 20. Or do a treatise on this 
camel through the eye of the needle illustration in verse 25. And compare that to how Jesus speaks about being born again. That illustration he gives Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And that is even before we consider the monumental questions in this passage. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And who then can be saved? And we couldn't leave this passage without a study on why the first will be last and the last first. The Apostle Paul was right when he wrote to the church in Rome saying in Romans 11 verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. There is so much to learn in this book, the Bible, and even in these few verses. However, we're going to look at this passage in its entirety and try and understand the wider view of what Jesus is teaching us in these verses today. Because although we could break this down and do it in in four separate sessions, it all does hang together as one coherent passage with three subdivisions, if you like. You've got verses 13 to 16, where the parents bring their children. They want to be blessed by Jesus. Then you've got verses 17 to 25, this young man with this question, what must I do? And then you've got verses 26 to 31, the disciples with their question, who then can be saved? And there are are bookends, if you like, to this passage as well. It begins with Jesus saying, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, the children, in verse 14. And it ends in verse 31 with those in the kingdom who shall be first and last. There are other brackets within the passage as well. And we're going to start at the heart of this section, really, just looking at the human disappointment, the human disappointment. I don't know if you can read that there. You can probably see the highlighted words in those two verses there. So the other day, Michelle and I um, were in a restaurant, and we quite fancied a dessert. We've been off desserts for quite a few weeks, and it's it's been very good for us. And we thought, well, we needed a little cheering up. We'll, We'll try the dessert. And the picture of this thing on the menu, it looked very enticing. It was a fancy, stylish, eaten mess type of dessert. It looked enticing, so he ordered one and two spoons. We thought, we'll we'll give it a go. And when it came, it looked delightful in its glass, and so we set about sharing it, but we soon found ourselves disappointed. That perfectly shaped and colourful meringue, it was quite hard and difficult to get into and maybe a little bit too sweet. The ice cream, not quite as smooth and as creamy as the ice cream we have at home in our own freezer. And that raspberry drizzle was a little bit sparse and the strawberry slice, just a bit mean. And sometimes things in life disappoint us and you wish you'd had a chocolate mousse instead. Human disappointments. And there's human disappointment in this passage and it's in these two verses. The first being the shape of the man who in the parallel passage in Matthew is described as a rich young man, and we we can see that he's rich. Um, As we read in verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything, all you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And here's the human disappointment. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This man had done his best since he was a child to keep the commandments, to earn his way into heaven by his good works, his obedience to the commandments. Yet he felt unsatisfied. He still yearned earnestly for salvation. So how did he approach Jesus? He ran to him. He fell on his knees. Despite his great wealth, he humbled himself, if you like, like a penitent man on his knees before the Saviour. And he dresses Jesus in reverence. Good teacher, he calls him. He must have heard about Jesus already. He may have heard his preaching. Or, or maybe, as Mark has previously told us, the whole country was in uproar, was talking about Jesus, about this new teaching. So this man had probably heard about him and heard he was coming and ran to him. And he was hoping for some salvation. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And his motives are entirely correct. He asks the question that we should all be asking. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Or what must I do to be saved? And we have to ask ourselves, have I asked that question? Maybe that's why you're here today. You want to know how to inherit eternal life. Maybe you've heard a lot of preaching, a lot of teaching, but for some reason you still need to know, what must I do? Have you felt that perhaps you're a good person? You've never broken the law, you give to charity, you look out for your neighbours and drop everything to help out a family member or a friend in difficulty. Never stolen or cheated anyone. Maybe like this man, you've obeyed all the commandments and obeyed all the rules and laws. But perhaps in the dark watches of the night, in the quiet of your own heart, perhaps you turn things over in your mind sometimes And your heart burns with a conviction of some guilt or some wrongdoing, something or other that's happened in your life. Or maybe because, like this man, you have done everything, everything honourable and good within your power, but you still feel there's got to be something else. You feel there's something lacking. Jesus already knows this man, as he knows all of us. And as he often does, he begins with scripture when he gives the answer. No one is good alone except God. It's not a direct reference to a scripture, but he's showing that if he is good, if he is completely good, the good teacher, the only fully good man, then he must be God, the Messiah. Because in Zechariah 14 verse 9 we read, The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day there will be one Lord and his name the only name. That name is the one who saves. The name Jesus. 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For if Jesus is good, he must be God. And then he goes on. You know the commandments. Of course, he doesn't start with the, the chief commandment, which is to know the Lord your God with all your, and to love him with all your heart and soul and strength. No, well, he doesn't, doesn't even then look at the first five commandments of the ten, but actually he rather lists the five that are more the outwardly seen ones. He knows this young man is all about the outward signs. Um, so he, he refers to those Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, and which from Exodus 20 verse 12 are, Honour your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour, you shall not covet your neighbour's house. But interestingly, he quotes commandments 6, 7 and 8, then adds defrauding to stealing, then skips number 10 and jumps back to number 5. But he knows everything about this man's heart. He points out that he knows what the man can do and what he does do in obeying these commandments. But then he homes in on the thing this young man can't do. The one thing he can't do. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I like to give this man a little bit of the benefit of doubts, perhaps. And who knows, despite his great sadness, I like to think that maybe he subsequently did think about it. And maybe he did give everything away and then follow Jesus. But we just don't know. We, we never hear from him again. Jesus isn't saying that we all have to give up everything we have, all our wealth, in order to follow him. But we do have to give up the thing we love most. And the thing this man loved most was being wealthy. Perhaps it came with status in the synagogue. Perhaps it came with a nice house and all those things. And those are things he loved most. Yes, he obeyed all the commandments. He may as well, as well have loved God. But the one thing he couldn't give up was his wealth and status. But what is it for you? What will you give up for Jesus your love of sport, or maybe your car, fancy holidays, that high-powered job, a nice house. Or maybe it isn't any of those things, maybe it's just your time. What would, you, what would make you sad to give up in order to follow Jesus? But don't let your face fall. Don't be sad. Look up to Jesus. Be glad that the one thing you can give most is your heart. Give Jesus your heart. And then we have this second expression of human disappointment in this passage. Verse 26, which I've highlighted there. The disciples were even more amazed and they said to each other, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? You can imagine they just must be thought, what's the point in trying? Who can do it? Who can pass through the eye of a needle like that camel? 
And this reflects a great sense of despair. Even as Christians, we can look at our own lives and think, I just can't do it. I try not to sin, but I do. I try to pray, I try to read my Bible, I try to do good, avoid temptations, but I just can't do everything. And sometimes I can't do any of it. I have bad days, I give up sometimes. But is it up to you to do it? Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Romans 5, verses 6 to 8, we read this. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. He did it. It is finished. So who can be saved? The disciples asked. The answer is anyone and everyone because Jesus has done it. He's paid the price. Job of the Old Testament, in, in the uh, Old Testament part of the Bible, he, it's a very long book. I don't know if you've read it. It's a lot of things in there, but he knew that his wealth was nothing. He was a wealthy man, but he knew his wealth was nothing. Job 31, verse 24, he says, If I have put my trust in gold, that's his wealth, or said to pure gold, you are my security, if I have rejoiced over my great wealth, the fortune my hands have gained, if I have regarded the sun in its radiance, or the moon moving in splendor, so that my heart was secretly enticed, and my hand offered them a kiss of homage. Then these also would be sins to be judged, for I would have been unfaithful to God on high. The Apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest apostle of all, knew that he had sins to be judged. And he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. So maybe you have a clear conscience like Paul. Maybe you have a clear conscience in relation to the law and the commandments and everything. But you know you will still face judgment. Sometimes in our human disappointments, we feel we don't deserve to have the blessing of the Lord to be saved. When we look at ourselves, we don't deserve to have Jesus bless us like he did those children in verse 16 where we read, he took the children in his arms placed his hands on them and blessed them. So do you want to feel those loving arms around you? The loving arms of Jesus around you? Moses writes in Deuteronomy 33, verse 27, The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Don't you want to know that security? To know that no matter how far or how hard or fast you fall, underneath are the everlasting arms. I don't know if you've ever been to um, uh, Go Ape or something. Sometimes there's a bit where you can just jump off and land in that net, that safety net underneath. And you get that sensation as you land and you just kind of bounce and you know that it's held you. Underneath are the everlasting arms. Jesus wants to embrace you, wants to hold you like those children, to securely hold you. So how does Jesus deal with that, with his human disappointments? It's all in the 
reassurance that Jesus gives us. Truly I tell you, verse 15, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. It sounds like quite a negative statement, but it's really positive. What does Jesus mean when he says this? Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Can only children be saved? How do we approach the throne of grace like a child? How do we receive the kingdom like a child? Especially those of us who are adults now with all the baggage and the years behind us. Firstly, we need to think about how children, how the children came to Jesus in this passage. They were led by their parents. They were brought by their parents. Many of the children here were brought here by the parents. And children are unfailingly trusting, aren't they? They will always assume that you, as a parent, a guardian, a teacher, or a carer, have their best interests at heart. You're acting in their best interests. They follow your lead. They may ask, why? They may ask again, why? I wonder if Nathan, when he was asked to dress up as a a camel this morning, asked, why? (laughs) But it paints a picture of how we should come to Christ. We're led to Christ by the Holy Spirit, who stirs up interest in our hearts and takes us by the hand and gives us the interest in our hearts and mind, the inquiring desire to know more. We're led, by, we're led to Jesus by others sometimes, others who know him. And we need to trust them while still asking the question like a child, why? I would not be stood here today if someone had not led me to the Bible and shown it to me, explained it to me, opened the scriptures to me and shown me who Jesus is, led by the hand. And if I had not just opened my hand and been prepared to take that free gift of God, to take hold of Jesus' hand, to accept that grace. See, Jesus is the loving shepherd. He cares for his flock, every one of us. He cares for the flock, as Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11 tells us. This is Isaiah the prophet writing, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. That's that picture again of Jesus holding the children. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Again, we see that imagery of the loving arms surrounding us. And also children, they have a tendency to accept what they're taught, what they're shown, and what they're given. And we like to give children good things, don't we? And so too does God love to give us, his children, good things. Matthew 7, verse 11, Jesus' uh, teaching says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. And children are not afraid to ask, are they? Children are not afraid to ask for anything sometimes. Sometimes for what could be seen as impossible. But we need to receive like a child, trustingly, confidently, faithfully, humbly, with our hands outstretched, just to receive. You know, I first read a children's Bible when... Um, I was 11 years old, I found a children's Bible in our reading section at school, and I read it from cover to cover. 
Um, I don't even remember much about it now. But I remember getting to the end of it on a Sunday morning in boarding school. Uh, it was early in the morning. I was sitting up in, in my dormitory bed reading this Bible. All the other boys in the dormitory in the room were all fast asleep because on Sunday morning the alarm bell rang an hour later than it did for the rest of the week. So I was sat up. And when I got to the end of Revelations, the early morning sun was streaming through the curtains, casting golden beams across the room. And I just knew, I looked up as I got to the end of Revelations, and I saw, I looked around me, and I just knew. I just knew that God was real. That he'd arranged this special morning, morning, this beautiful kind of light display, just for me, while everyone else was asleep in the peace and quiet of that Sunday morning. I just knew. The question is, do you know? Do you know God? Do you know? Have you had that experience? With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That Sunday morning was a gift to the 11-year-old me. Not something I'd asked for. It was a free gift. With man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. Ephesians 2 Chapter 2, verse 8, we read, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. Not by works, so that anyone can boast. It is a free gift. You see, this rich young man we have in this passage, he had plenty of works, but not faith. He was rich, he was wealthy, maybe he gave to the synagogue, gave the tenth of everything he earned, did all the right things, but... Did he have real faith? The 11-year-old me had no works at all, um, but just enough faith, just enough, as small as a mustard seed, to believe. And what reassurance now Jesus gives his disciples if we do have that faith. Verse 28, Peter spoke up. We've left everything to follow you. Was he trying like the young man to show his Works, you know, look what I've done. I've left my boat, my fishing, my career. We've we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. Maybe he is boasting. Jesus replies, truly I tell you, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So there's a double blessing here. A hundred times as much in this present age, and eternal life in the age to come. Not by our works, but by receiving the kingdom of God like a little child. Now, does this hundred times mean that you'll be more wealthy than you are now? Maybe you'll have a hundred homes or... Um, or a hundredfold your wealth. And maybe like this rich young man in this passage, um, maybe we, we might think that we might be rich or very happy. No, not at all. This is not a prosperity gospel. You are not going to be living in a mansion just because you believe in Jesus with a pool and a pony and a Ferrari in the drive. But where you have given up your home maybe to others, or maybe you've lost your home through persecution. Maybe 
many homes of other Christians will be opened up to you. Remember, he was talking to the disciples in the early stages of the church, and they were going to suffer persecutions. And where they traveled around, taking the gospel, other people would open up homes to them. And maybe for you, where your family or friends or your hometown have rejected you because you follow the gospel, maybe where your colleagues have persecuted you, you may even lose your job. But many brothers and sisters in Christ will adopt you as family. We are all family under Christ. He is the head of the family. He is the head of our church. So you may have given up a family, but you've gained a whole new family in the church. Going back to Job again, when he was restored by God after being attacked by Satan and suffering so long, dreadful attacks. At the end of the book of Job, it says that he had everything restored to him that had been taken away. And more than that, it had been doubled. It had been doubled, all his wealth and everything had been doubled in proportion. But in Christ, you can have a hundred times more. And eternal life in the heaven to come. And isn't that worth it? Despite the earthly trials and tribulations we may suffer, isn't that worth it to have eternal life in the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Those that come to him like children, trusting, following, obeying, just patiently waiting and humbly coming. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. If we come to him as children, the kingdom of God belongs to such as us. At home in my uh, bedside drawer, I have a small key, which I I found again. I thought I'd bring it along because it has a little label on it which informs me that I have something very important in my hand here. It says that I have here the key to a kingdom. This is a golden key, and it tells me it is a key to a kingdom. I don't know if anyone can... Uh, anyone, maybe tell you, can you identify? What, what kingdom do you think that's the key to? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a Disney key, I'm afraid. I have a key which tells me I have the key to Walt Disney World, to the magic kingdom in Walt Disney World. Now, it's a nice little thing, but it isn't really a key. It isn't really a key at all. There's no lock I can put this in and turn, and there's no way I could turn up at the magic kingdom and demand special access with this. It isn't even a real kingdom, though it does have a castle in the middle. Um, But for you... You have in Christ a key, the key to the kingdom of heaven. Here on earth, it's a kingdom of hearts. It's not a land or a territory, a place you can go to with a castle in the middle, if you like. It is a spiritual kingdom. It's on another plane. We're all citizens of a spiritual kingdom. And if you believe in Jesus, you're adopted. You're a member of that kingdom. You're adopted. You're a loved citizen. You're in the family God, Jesus has got you in the family. And one day, you'll be in the eternal aspect, the physical heaven, the actual physical place, heaven itself. But remember, many who are first will be last, and the last 
first. And when our, our kids are small, you could try this at home, we often refer to this passage a great deal with our kids um, until, in fact, they started quoting it to each other and even to us. You know how competitive siblings are, um, both wanting to be the first to get to a slide when you go down to the park or the first to get to the, the biscuit box um, when it's opened or, or um, just to be the first through a doorway sometimes, the first to get to grandma for a welcome hug. Um, for all these things, as they pile out or rush, we'd say, hang on a minute, now, now, the first will be last and the last will be first. And we used it to teach them a bit of humility, a bit of patience, a bit of kindness to others, to let others go first on the slide or let others take the biscuit before you or, or maybe don't take the last sausage on the buffet, maybe let someone else have it. Let someone else go first. Let someone else be first in the queue to the ice cream machine whatever it was. And in this context here, however, Jesus is answering Peter. We've given up everything to follow you. He's boasting, if you like. We've given up everything to follow you. Like, I deserve a seat at the top table, Jesus, because look look what I've done. Look what I'm doing. But Jesus shows them, and he will show them later, God is looking for the servant-hearted. We're talking about this the other week, the servant-heartedness. He's looking for the servant-hearted among us. Jesus, at the Last Supper, after he'd washed the feet of disciples, we read in John chapter 13, verse 12, it says, When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. It's like the young man calling him good teacher. And rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed if you do them. Servant-heartedness. Jesus was the ultimate servant to all of us. So we will be blessed if we too adopt a servant-hearted attitude towards others. The attitude of the Saviour who humbled himself even unto death and even death on a cross. So where do we conclude with this? Let us not forget the attitude that Jesus had in this passage towards that rich young man. He saw a penitent, repentant man before him, running to him, falling on his knees, but one whose face would fall and would turn away, disappointed. But Jesus looked at him and loved him. He looked at him and loved him. And Jesus looking right now at you. And he loves you. Don't turn away. Don't let your heart be hard. Don't let your face be sad. He's looking right now at you. And he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world 
through him. Amen.